Well, good morning. Good morning. There you go. I can hear you. Uh, this fall, we are tracing God's redemptive and restorative story through the great fathers of our faith. In Genesis 1 through 11, we see seeds of a rebel force growing through Seth and Enoch and Noah. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we see them come into full bloom as God calls Abram to take the reins and lead the rebel army against the evil empire. Now, as we have looked at Genesis chapter 12 through 15 over the past two weeks, I hope, like you, your faith in God has been challenged and encouraged as we get to know Abram. Abram, like all of us, is a very complicated person, at times demonstrating humility, courage, and faith, and then at other times struggling with fear and mistrust in the Lord. But through it all, we see a man who does not let his failures define him. We are reminded that faith is a process and that we serve a gracious and faithful God. Now today, we look at how our Heavenly Father pursues after His children and walks with them. Discipleship is a relationship, not a program. And the practice of hospitality is a mark of a follower of God. So we're going to look at two things this morning. First, we're going to look at God's pursuit. And then secondly, we're going to look at our response to God's pursuit, and that is hospitality. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for just the cool weather, the shade. And we would just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take away all the distractions around us. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would teach us through your word. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to look at is God's pursuit. And I want to, again, encourage you every week, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible or your Bible app because we're going to be walking through several chapters, not just chapter 18. This morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 16, and then we're going to walk through until chapter 18, and that's where we're going to spend the most of our time this morning. In chapter 16, after seeing Abram take two steps forward, trusting in God's covenant promise that God was going to give him an heir through his wife, Sarah, we see Abram take three steps back. He and Sarah, they grow impatient with God, and they take things into their own hands. Sarah, seeing that she still had not born Abram a child, gives Hagar, her servant, to Abram so that she might conceive a child for them. And as often is the case, when we choose to write our own stories, taking matters into our own hands, though the outcome might even be what we wanted, we find ourselves disappointed in it because it's less than God's original intent. Hagar, she conceives a child. And yet what we see is Sarah, who set her up to do all this, bore contempt toward her servant Hagar. Now I wonder, are there outcomes in your own life 
that you feel bitter and angry about that you ascribe to God, but in hindsight, they're a result of your own making. Now, as we turn to chapter 17, we see God's grace and faithfulness on full display yet again in the midst of Abram's failures. Now, while there were certainly painful circumstances and consequences due to Abram and Sarah's disobedience, God remains committed to establishing his kingdom through Abram. The text tells us that the Lord reaffirms his covenant as a demonstration of how much he believes, not just in Abram in the moment, but he believes in Abram and who he will become, a man of great faith. And what we see in chapter 17 is the Lord graciously doing two things. First, he gives Abram a new name, saying to him, no matter what you've done or what you do, you belong to me. I am your heavenly father, and you shall now be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then secondly, the Lord entrusts more to Abraham. He gives him a sign, and that sign of the covenant is circumcision. Now, in the Noahic covenant, the sign of the covenant was a rainbow. And a rainbow can only appear if God makes it appear. But in this covenant with Abram, he gives him circumcision. And he's basically saying to Abram, I'm giving you a sign that you are going to have to perform. You're going to be responsible and mankind is going to be responsible to administer this sign. Now, this is a major principle here in that as we get to know God and grow in our relationship with him, the more God is going to expect of us and the more God is going to entrust to us. Circumcision is to be administered by man. Abraham and man now have to take more responsibility. And I think this is really comforting because when we come to faith, we often think that we have to kind of be super Christians. And we feel like we have to be perfect. But what we see is as we grow in our relationship with God, he will slowly begin to expect more of us and entrust more to us. Now that brings us to chapter 18 and God's pursuit. If you look at verse 1, we see God pursuing Abraham as he comes down to earth, walks with Abraham, and moves toward him in deeper ways. Now up until this point, all of Abraham's interactions with God were at a distance. God spoke to him. But if you look at verses 1 through 3, the text tells us that God moved towards Abraham in the form of three visitors. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. The Lord of the universe 
comes down in the form of these three men in order to spend time with his chosen and beloved son. God pursues Abraham and he wants to be with him. It's important for us to understand that discipleship is a relationship. It's not a program. And in this interaction, we see God humbling himself, going to where Abraham is on his home turf and spending quality time with him. And then during their time together, we see God reiterating his promise of a child. Look at verse 10. The Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And as the Lord was reminding Abraham of his promise, the text tells us that Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And hearing what the Lord said, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now look at the Lord's response. It is such a fatherly, tenderly response to Sarah. For those of you like me who grew up with Mr. Rogers, you remember when, when Mr. Rogers had to say difficult things to children, instead of directly talking to the children because that would be too much for them, what would he do? He would always talk to a puppet. In this scene, what we see the Lord doing is the exact same thing. Instead of talking directly to Sarah, which would have intimidated Sarah, because she's the one who laughed, he talks to Abraham because he knows that Sarah can hear him. And he reassures her that this time next year, though you laugh, Sarah, you will have a son. I love that relational dynamic. God being in person, not only talking and pursuing Abraham, but also pursuing Sarah and then we continue to see God's pursuit of Abraham in verses 16 through 21 as the Lord invites him into his counsel sharing with Abraham his plans to travel to Sodom and Gomorrah and sharing his concerns about the city look at verses 20 through 21 the Lord says because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, I believe it's important for us to pause here for just a moment. Because again, we see an important truth about God that is echoed in Jonah. And that is that God has a heart for cities. The Lord is concerned about Sodom and Gomorrah. And later we read that he sends his angels into the city to see what is going on there. Now likewise, I think it's important for us. It's easy when we look at the things that are going on in Afghanistan and in Africa and around the world to think that God is absent there. That he doesn't care about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can be assured by this passage that the Lord hears their cries. And I believe with all my heart that right now he is sending his angels to attend to the people there. God's light 
is penetrating the darkness in Afghanistan. And his justice is moving forward. Now, as we go back to their relationship and as they continue to walk in verses 22 through 23, we see the relationship between Abraham and God continue to grow. And that's what happens as we spend time with the Lord and as we experience his love and his grace. Abraham, perhaps emboldened by the grace he just saw God demonstrate to Sarah, he decides to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. He asks God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then Abraham says, suppose there's 50 righteous who are in it. Would you spare the city? And then after the Lord answers yes in this conversation, Abraham says, well, what about 45 people? What about 40 people? What about 30 people? What about 20 people? What about even 10 people, Lord? Will you not destroy the city? And with each number, the Lord answers, yes, I will spare the city. Here we see a beautiful representation of the substitutional atonement, which ultimately points to the ultimate substitution, Jesus Christ on a cross, who died so that all who profess faith in him will be spared. And in this interaction between Abraham and the Lord, we see how God's pursuit of Abraham brings about deeper intimacy and greater faith. Discipleship is about relationships. I'm going to say that again and again and again. Discipleship is about relationships. It is about spending time together in each other's homes, inviting the other into your counsel, and having the courage, like Abraham, to ask difficult questions of God. And so I wonder this morning, how has the Lord pursued you and invited you into his counsel? What questions do you have of him? And are you willing to trust the relationship? Are you willing to bring those difficult questions to God? And then lastly, since discipleship is one of the major means in which Christ builds his kingdom, who are you willing to disciple? And who have you asked to disciple you? The first thing we see in our chapter 18 this morning, we see God's pursuit of Abraham. The second thing we see is that our response to God's pursuit is hospitality. Look back in verse 2. God comes in the form of these three men. And Abraham's response is to go out and greet them and to offer extraordinary hospitality to them. The text says, Abraham, he broke with tradition and he ran from the tent door to meet them. In verse 4, Abraham says, Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. In verses 6 through 8, Instead of summoning his servants to care for his guest, Abraham offers them a morsel of bread. And then he goes into the tent and he asks Sarah to make some bread for the men. And while she's gathering over three seahs, which is 60 pounds of flour, 
enough to make 80 loaves of bread for these men. Abraham, he ran down to the herd and he took one of his finest calves and he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then Abraham provided curds and milk along with the bread and calf for the men to eat. Abraham, he went to extraordinary lengths to care for his guest. And I think it's important to note that he did all of this right after he was circumcised. He was in a lot of physical pain. And yet, because of God's pursuit, he responded and wanted to care and opened his home and provided food and nourishment to God. The response to God's incarnational pursuit of us is hospitality. And hospitality is costly. Hospitality is often inconvenient. But hospitality is a mark of a true follower of Christ. We are called to open ourselves up to the Lord, to invite Him into our homes, to serve Him. And we are called to offer hospitality to those strangers around us. Listen to Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. Jesus says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Hospitality is a mark of a true follower of Christ. And I think it's important to note that we mistakenly think that the main reason that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was because of their sexual sin. And while their sexual sin certainly was a contributing factor, in Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it teaches us that the main reason for the destruction of the city was due to their lack of hospitality offered in that city. And then in Hebrews 13, 2, there's a reference to the, the visit of the angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the author of Hebrews says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Hospitality is a big deal. And our response to God's pursuit is to be hospitable to God and to be hospitable to others. And so I wonder this morning, how are you extending hospitality to God? How are you walking Him into your tent? What rooms in your own heart are you not allowing Him and inviting Him into? And how are you serving Him? And then also, how are you offering hospitality to others? Who might God be calling you to open your homes to? Maybe even today, to share a meal with, to provide transportation to, and to offer the ministry of being present with this week. 
You know, left to ourselves, our selfishness certainly prevails. But the good news of this table this morning is that we have a Savior who washed his disciples' feet. And he didn't stop there. He demonstrated hospitality by preparing a meal where he broke bread and offered wine so that all who partake were filled and overflowing. And this morning, we celebrate the meal and we remember his ultimate act of hospitality as he, as his body was broken and his blood was shed on a cross so that all of us who profess faith in him might have eternal life. And his life, his strength, his power works in us so that we can repent of our selfishness. We can put away our fear and our mistrust and we can welcome him into our lives. We can be hospitable to him and we can be hospitable to others. Through our union with Jesus and his regenerative work in us, we can be a people who pursue like God pursued. And we can be a people who practice hospitality. And so this morning, as we get the privilege of partaking of this meal, I ask that you stand with me.